Thank you, Paul, and good morning to everybody. Pastor Gary and Pastor Jane aren't with us this morning. Pastor Gary gets a day off pre- preaching here, but they're down at Strathalbyn this morning ministering. So uh, we think of them this morning. Okay. What do you think when you see this? Inspired? Challenged? Scared? Or something else? In case you haven't seen this morning, this is the mission for us here at Infuse this year. And I want to ask a question. What is the one critical thing that we need to execute this mission? What do you think it is? Well, I don't exactly know what it is, but (laughs) if I had to vote for something, this is the one thing that I think we need to execute this mission. (laughs) Boldness. Because when you are bold, nothing gets in your way. And when you look at the early church in the book of the Acts of the Apostles, you can see how, they, how bold they were in living for Jesus. And the result of that, people saved, miracles occurring. It even begs the question, if they were not bold, would have the church even gone out from beyond Jerusalem to the ends of the earth, let alone survived? And as we look to arise together, how many of these strategies do you think we need to be more bold in if we are really going to execute them in the way God would want us to? So it begs the question, how do you get more bold? How do you get boldness? What are the criti- what's the critical thing you need for it? Where does it come from? Well, we're going to look at the answer. In Proverbs 28, verse 1. The wicked flee, though no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. So, what does this proverb mean? How do we interpret it? First of all, I want you to understand that this is a proverb and therefore it is a generalisation. It's meant to teach us to give us some instruction, some wisdom, to help us understand ourselves and to understand our lives. And it also is poetical. In this case, we have the first line contrasting the second line, which is a common way that proverbs are constructed. So based on that, how do we now interpret this proverb? I'm taking my interpretation, well, let me... Take a step back. My experience is with Proverbs is that they often deal with life experiences and understanding a proverb is aided when you can relate it to a personal experience in your life. And that's really how I'm explaining it this morning to you. It's not a theoretical interpretation. It's more of a testimony, although it probably comes across as an interpretation. You see, I'm coming to you with this 
as someone who is not naturally bold. To say to you, we all need to be bold at times. And it's something that we all should do. It's not just reserved for the naturally bold to be bold. The first thing I want you to do is to get past your instinctive interpretation of the words wicked and righteous. Just remember, this is a poetical format here. Um, because we would probably describe a wicked person as someone who is really bad, really evil, you know, most of the time. And a righteous person is someone who is very holy, hardly does a thing wrong. But really, they're two extremes, aren't they? It's like we have, you know, wickedness on this corner here, and then on the other corner over here, we have righteousness, two extremes. But I think most, if not all of us, we probably can't really relate to that extreme. If there was an imaginary line between the two, we would probably see ourselves, you know, somewhere on the line between wickedness and righteousness. Maybe I'm about here, I don't know. <laughs> so, what use is this proverb to us if it's talking about two extremes? Well, I believe that this proverb is here because it speaks to the state of our heart and how we perceive ourselves with where we are on that line between extreme wickedness and extreme righteousness. Okay, just bear with me. And so to help clarify that a bit more, I want to give you perhaps some alternative words that you could use instead of wickedness or righteousness, which still capture the same sentiment that this proverb is trying to teach to us. So, alternative words for wickedness, you know, could be bad, wrong, depraved, sinful, immoral, inferior, not good enough, or not right. Righteousness, or some alternative words, could be virtuous, moral, good enough, right enough, blameless, upright, decent, complete. And I believe that every human can relate to one or more of those words. And you see, based on those words will determine where we see ourselves on that line. Do we, do we see ourselves as bad, not good enough, not right? We're in this area, okay? But if we see ourselves, yep, I'm right, I'm good enough, we see ourselves more on this side. Now, your perception of yourself may be correct or it may be incorrect. But whatever your perception is, that is your reality. And this is the key thing. Your reality determines your behaviour. Because there are people who are righteous but are not bold because they don't know it. And there are people who are wicked who are very bold because they believe that they are right. Okay? But when we look at Proverbs 4.23, it says, Above all else, guard your heart, 
For everything you do flows from it. Whatever's in our heart determines all that we do. So, in Proverbs 28.1, I believe it's showing us the link that exists to the state of our heart and the behaviour that results for the subject matter that it covers. Okay? Perhaps I'll say that again. Proverbs 28.1 is showing us the link between the state of our heart and the behaviour that results. In other words, the state of our heart, where do we see ourselves on that line between righteousness and wickedness, will determine our behaviour. So, back to Proverbs 28.1. Let's now look at the first line. The wicked flee, though no one pursues. I believe that this line is saying that a person who in their heart does not believe that they are righteous runs away when no one is chasing them. Okay? Runs away from what, you might ask? They run away from situations, circumstances, opportunities that make them feel uncomfortable because it brings to the surface Beliefs in their heart that make it difficult or even impossible to deal with what is before them. For example, their heart may be telling them, I'm not good enough to do this. I'm not smart enough to do this. I'm not strong enough to do this. I don't have the right to do this. Or my past disqualifies me from doing this. In other words... I'm not righteous enough to do this. So what do we do? We run away from these situations, don't we? Firstly, we run away in our hearts. And then, if relevant or possible, we physically run away. So, why does this proverb add, though no one pursues? The proverb could have easily ended after the word bold, but it doesn't. Sorry, I've just uh, lost my line here. I'll go back. Why does this proverb add, though no one pursues? It's because we have these thoughts or feelings and want to run away when no one is actually chasing us. The word though is key here. The wicked flee in spite of no one pursuing them. It's pointing out the silliness of someone running away, even though no one is chasing them. Think about it. We run away in these situations. Is anyone really chasing us? Do we ever have any hard evidence that someone is chasing us? Or is it purely based on our feelings, which can be so easily deceived? And yes, these feelings can be quite strong and it can feel like you've been chased by a lion. But in reality, because our feelings are easily deceived, you know what's really chasing us? That's what's really chasing us. Not exactly intimidating, unless you've got an angry cat, I guess. 
Look, I do acknowledge that there may be genuine times when people are chasing you away. But the key thing, this proverb is a generalisation, but a very real one, I believe, for us. Does it even really matter whether or not we run away when these situations arise? Yes, I believe it does. Because by us running away, I believe we're not living the life that God wants us to live. For we end up living a life of running away from time to time and perhaps even from critical God-ordained moments from our friends, our families, our neighbours, our church, our community, our opportunities and perhaps even God himself. So where to from here? What's the answer to all of this? The answer is found in the very next line. But. I love that word but. It's saying that there's an alternative. The righteous are as bold as a lion. Let's take a first look at that. Bold as a lion phrase. Can you think of any other animal that has such a reputation for boldness? Dr. Craig Packer, founder and director of the Lion Centre at the University of Minnesota and considered the world's foremost expert on African lions, says, they're the least afraid of anything of all the predators. Think about that for a moment. This is a boldness that is available to us to be as bold as a lion. And this line of the proverb could have easily stopped after the word bold, but it didn't. Why not? I think it's because God wants us to know that this is a boldness we all have the capacity for. And it's a boldness that's right up there with the boldness of a lion. Interestingly, King David, before he became king, actually killed a lion with his bare hands when it tried to snatch his father's sheep. You can read about that in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Talk about the bold taking on the bold. Makes you even wonder whether that event inspired this proverb. Interesting. Now, this boldness, however, only belongs to the righteous or, more specifically, to those who know or believe in their heart that they are righteous. To those who know they are good enough, they are smart enough, they are strong enough, they have a right in God's eyes to do this or say that, and they know that their past does not disqualify them. People like this are bold because it gives them the confidence to take on every situation or opportunity in life because there is nothing in their heart that causes them to back off. But hang on, you might be saying to yourself, I'm not good enough, I have these flaws, I've done this wrong in the past. That will be true when you look at your own righteousness. Okay, now we're getting to the good stuff. And this is the most important point I want to stress to you this morning. We are not meant to live out of our own righteousness. 
that will only take you so far. Instead, we are meant to live out of another righteousness. This is a righteousness that is perfect and higher than anything else. Of course, you probably all know, it's God's righteousness. And God has made this righteousness available to all through the divine exchange that happened on the cross. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Or as the NIV says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. All our sin, our wickedness has been dealt with once and for all, so that we now become right with God, and this now becomes our permanent position before him. And we get this righteousness simply by faith, by believing that Jesus was made sin with our sinfulness, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It's just like we are now wearing his robe of righteousness that he gives to us. And that's what he sees when he sees us, his righteousness first. Now, the ideal, of course, is, is that we should be striving to close the gap between our righteousness and God's righteousness. But it's a gap we will never fill. So first and foremost, we should rely on his righteousness and not our own. And this is the righteousness that is our basis for being bold. And dare I say, this also takes away all excuses of us not being good enough to arise. In Christ, we are good enough to connect and connect deeply with others, to grow in our worship of him, to start using our gifts to serve others, to grow in our faith and to reach our communities. Think about this. If we individually and corporately really understood, received and lived exclusively out of God's righteousness, how bold would we be? And what would it look like in our day-to-day -day lives? Why would God give us this gift of righteousness if he didn't want us to use it? Consider the Apostle Peter. When Jesus was on trial in his greatest time of need, need, three times Peter denied him. He messed up big time. Less than two months later, on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples, it was Peter who stood up in the crowd and preached the first sermon. And about 3,000 people were saved. If ever someone had a reason to chuck it all thing, chuck it all in, thinking they were not good enough, that they were disqualified, it was Peter. And yet he didn't. Can you think of anyone else in two months has gone from such a state of denying their master and their close friend to becoming a public witness for them and being used by God? I think it's probably unprecedented. And when you read the account of his sermon, it says, 
Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Note that. He wasn't asked to speak. He didn't ask for permission to speak. He simply stood up and spoke. Knowing and believing you have God's righteousness makes you bold enough to do this. As I wrap up, what would our lives look like if we were as bold as lions? What would infused church look like? What would the Adelaide Hills look like? Are we living out of God's righteousness or our own? What's one area in your life where you would like to be more bold? And what belief in your heart needs to change to make this happen. We're now going to hear from a mighty woman of God. Let's give it up for Jo as she comes up and shares what's on her heart. Good morning, everyone. I am excited to preach for you this morning. So, arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. When I was asked to preach on arise, I knew exactly that I'd immediately that I'd preach on worship, ramp up your worship. But there was a few ways I could have gone with this, because worship is a big part of my life. It's part of my heart, right? So I was thinking... Which way should I go? Should I preach about how I learnt spiritual warfare through worship and uh, the song Raise a Hallelujah? Should I preach about um, David dancing before the Ark of the Covenant in the presence of God, which wasn't in his underwear, but actually the priestly robes? And so, you know, these thoughts are going through my head because I love those two topics. But I kept on coming back to something else because... It's very hard to do the spiritual warfare. It's very hard to dance boldly in the presence if you don't have the heart right. And so what I want to preach to you this morning is worship in communion. So it's got a story and it has a challenge. So communion is, the, is where it all starts, right? It's the heart of worship. And from that is the outward expressions. So October last year, I, um, during some of my prayer time, just felt led to start taking communion daily. And um, as I was at mum and dad's, Chris and Elle's house for dinner one night, I was just telling them about, about this. And Chris says, well, why don't you start tonight? Let's take it together. I'm like, all right, let's do it. No time around the present. And so from that moment onwards, every day, I would take communion, sometimes in the morning, sometimes at night, whenever I do my um, devotional time. There'd be a few times I would forget, which was okay. One time I was ready, tucked up in bed, and I really didn't want to get out, so I'm like, all right, I'm mind taking communion. So, you know, do, doing the action. But, you know, it's, it's about the heart, right? It's about spending that time... With God, just you and him. So it was originally taking communion 
in declaration for my health and for healing. Isaiah um, 53, verse 5, by his wounds we are healed. And so I would quote that scripture, I would pray for my healing, because I've been going through some pretty rough stuff lately. And so I was desperate for it, and I said, cry out to God as I'm taking this communion. But there was a shift that came somewhere along the way, I'm not really sure where, where it was firstly about I'm believing for my healing, I'm believing for my healing. And then it became about, God, I just want to spend time with you. And it was a really bizarre shift of wanting something to just being. And so I just kept on doing this. When I first started, I didn't know how long I would do it for. There was no set time limit. And it was probably a few months in where I ran out of the communion wine. I got a special one that was right from um, Israel. And so um, it was kind of even more special to me. Um, Grapes grown in the Judean hills. But because of restrictions and different things, I'm not going to say the buzzwords because I don't want to get taken down from that certain video platform again. (laughs) Um... But yeah, anyway, the entire South Australia was out of this specific wine. And you could just not get it anywhere. So I'm like, oh, I don't know, finish the bottom line. Well, okay, God, do I, is this time to stop? And I realised, wait, I don't want to stop. And so wine or grape juice are the one that you use, it's okay. But I realised that, yeah, I didn't want to stop taking communion daily. I was loving it. And so it ended up being daily communion for about six months. And when I ended it was um, sort of things just the timeline, just sort of everything came together. I had just finished a Bible course, online Bible course that I was doing. Um, During that six months, I had started doing a Facebook Live, just doing some Bible teachings weekly. And after the six months, I started live streaming to YouTube at the same time. So I thought, you know what, this is a good time to stop having to do the six, having to do communion daily. And I thought, well, I'll just do it, you know, I'll do it at church, I'll do it at Connect Group, I'll um, do it when I feel like it, but I don't feel the need to do it daily anymore. And so I'd finished this Bible course, I'd finished doing communion daily, and the next month, my devotional time just was feeling flat. And, you know, my health wasn't that great at the time as well, so I'm thinking, oh, no, maybe it's just health issues. Maybe I'm just missing doing the Bible course that I was doing. Um, But whenever I went to, you know, go into my Bible, have prayer time, put my worship music on, it just wasn't the same. I just couldn't feel excited about it. And I just, you know, I'd read my Bible, I'd put it away and go, so what? Um... (laughs) So here was I struggling with these feelings, just thinking, oh, maybe it's just a slump I'm going through. We get that sometimes as humans, right? Um, And anyway, I was having dinner one night and pouring some um, juice to have with my tea. And then I was like, oh. And it hit me like two tonne of bricks. I hadn't been doing daily communion. And it was since that point that I had started to feel not so great. And so after dinner that night, I turned off the TV, 
even though it was a good episode of my favourite show that was on, I was like, no, I'm not going to watch it, going to turn it off, went into my study, put on my worship music, just opened up my Bible, and I had almost two-hour worship session just straight back into the presence of God because I took communion first. In fact, it was an hour and 43 minutes because that's how long the Old Church Basement album goes for, which is amazing. It was the first time I'd listened to it and I'm just trying to listen to the music, worship, I'm trying to read my Bible at the same time and I'm just like, I don't know what to do, Lord. But it was just like, bam, the presence of God came back so strongly for me. And it just showed me the power that is in communion. So I've been taking it more or less daily ever since. Um, sometimes not quite as strict as those first few months. Health reasons, you know, it's been up and down. And sometimes you do get busy, but I've been trying to take it daily again since. And when I do, the presence of God is so there with me. But why is communion so important, right? What is it about it? Well, I want to read a few scriptures out and I encourage you to write these down and look at them later because I've got quite a big chunk of passages, but I'm only going to read a few key verses out of them. So John 4... Actually, before we go to John 4, Psalm 25, verse 14, which has been one of my favourites across this time, which is the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. and He makes his covenant known to them. And that's what I was feeling with that communion moment. In the Passion Translation, it says, there's a private place reserved for the lovers of God who sit near him and receive his revelation secrets. And that communion with him, that entwining our hearts with him, as the scripture says earlier, is, you know, joining with him. So it's two becomes one in that moment of communion, right? Common union, together. Um, and that moment of private place with God is just so amazing. So what does the bread and the wine mean? Because we do these little symbols and things in church, but what does it actually mean? So John 4, verses 7 to 26, John 4, 7 to 26, and I'll read out a, just a few key verses of this. This is the woman at the well. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, asked a drink of me, a Samaritan woman? Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it was who was asking you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. A bit further down it says, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give will never be thirsty. The water that I give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. And then verse, from verse 21, and here it talks about the worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father, neither here on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know, we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here where true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. 
So here we're looking at Jesus is the living water and he also says that he is the vine, right? Which is John 15, verse 5. And if you want the whole passage there, I'd recommend verses 1 to 8. I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit because apart from me you can do nothing. So there we are. Jesus is the vine where we get the wine or the juice from, right? And as we abide in him, as we commune with him, that's where, as Paul was saying, where's our boldness come from? It's coming from knowing our righteousness comes from him. It's coming from that place of finding our identity when we sit at his feet and receive those revelation secrets. So John 6, verse 35 to 58, quite a big passage. I'll pick out a few key verses again. And here Jesus is talking about the bread of life. So Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And verse 51... I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever. And the bread that I give for the life of the world is my flesh. Verse 53 to 57. Jesus said to them, Truly I say unto you, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life, and I will raise them up in, my last, in the last days. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever eats me will live because of me. So here we are, he's talking about abiding again in with him. Him and the Father is one. One of my favourite chapters in John is John 17, where Jesus prays that we might be one with him prays for his disciples, then he actually prays for us, those who might believe because of them. That's us. How awesome is that, that Jesus prays that we might be one with him and the Father? And how does that come? That comes through communion. So you could, I guess, just spend time with him, that communion time with him, but there is something powerful in taking the bread, taking the wine or the juice and actually physically taking part of that. Because Jesus said, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood will abide in me. And that's what they did um, during the Last Supper at Passover time where, you know, in the original Passover they would sacrifice the lamb which would, you know, be the put the blood on the door to protect them from death. So here they are, Jesus becoming the sacrificed lamb. In Matthew 26, 26 to 28. While they were eating, Jesus took a loaf of bread and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and after giving thanks, he gave it to them saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my, the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. So when Jesus did that, 
There's no doubt that the disciples would have made the connection with Jesus becoming the Passover lamb, taking, t- taking our sins. So we can come into that place. The Holy of Holies was opened to us so we could have that moment of intimate relationship with him. I think sometimes we hear that so many times we forget how actually significant that is and how important, how amazing that is that we can actually come into the presence of God. Like that is huge. God Almighty who created everything, who is perfect in every way, wants to spend, not only can we come into his presence, he actually wants to spend time with us. Um, Revelation 3.20 Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. Whoever hears my voice and opens up that door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Now we quote that a lot of the time for people coming to salvation. And you know that's true. When they open up the door, God will come into them. But in this verse, God's actually talking to the church. He's talking to Christians already. Because sometimes we're so often, we're busy, we're distracted. You know, life gets that way. But even while you're busy, even while you're chopping your vegetables, even while you're taking the kids to school, you can still have those moments of communion. But whoever hears my voice and opens up the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. So I'm going to give you guys a challenge. We want to ramp up our worship, right? Let's start it at home. Let's start it in our hearts. My life has so significantly changed. I've felt such a boldness of that righteousness that Paul was talking about come into my life during the last six, ten months since I started doing that daily communion because of that daily communion. Imagine how our worship would be in this church on a Sunday morning if we all started doing that at home. And not only that, how your lives would change. I mean, imagine if the band got up on a Sunday morning and goes, all right, guys, what songs are we going to do? Well, we haven't practised at all during the week, but, well, let's give it a go. You know, God can work through that, but when we practice, I don't want to call it practice, but when we're in that moment, I mean, okay, sometimes we do just have to, if you want to be good at something, you practice it, right? If you want to be bold as a lion, if you want to know who you truly are in God, you've got to sit with him and ask him, hey, God, show me. So I'm going to give you a challenge. It's totally up to you whether you want to do it or not because it's got to come again from the I want to, not I have to. If you feel led, start taking daily communion and see how your life changes. You could choose to do it for a certain amount of time. You could do it and say, until God says, all right, you can stop doing that now, and you might decide you want to keep doing it anyway. So here I am, I stand at the door and knock. Will you open that door? In Songs 2, um, verses 4, it says, um, he brought me to his banquet table, his banner over me, his love. When we open that door and God comes in to eat with us, he's given us his banquet table. It's also translated as the house of wine. His 
beautiful wine, his blood, his body that he has given to us. So I want to read, to finish up, Songs 2, further down from that passage, verses 10 to 14, from the Passion Translation. It just, it comes alive here. And this was actually a verse that God gave to me just before I started doing daily communion as well, for me personally. It's oh, amazing. So Psalm, Song of Songs 2, verses 10 to 14. Arise, my dearest, hurry, my darling, come along with me. I have come, as you have asked, to draw you to my heart and lead you out. For now is the time, my beautiful one. The season has changed. The bondage of your barren winter has ended. The season of hiding is over and gone. No more running away. (laughs) The rains have soaked the earth and left it bright with blossoming flowers. The season for singing and the pruning vines has arrived. I hear the cooing of the doves in our land, filling the air with songs to awaken you and guide you forth. Can you not discern this new day of destiny breaking forth around you? The early signs of my purpose and plans are bursting forth. The budding vines of new life are now blooming everywhere. Their fragrance and their flowers whispers, there is change in the air. Arise, arise my love, my beautiful companion, and run with me to the higher place. For now is the time to arise and come away with me. For you are my dove, hidden in the split open rock. It was I who took you and hid you up high in the secret stairway of the sky. Let me see your radiant face and hear your sweet voice. How beautiful your eyes of worship and how lovely your voice in prayer. God longs to be with us more than we long to be with him. And that's something... That just totally blows my mind. So if we get the uh, worship team back up as we finish up. Thank you, guys. Again to Psalm 25, 14. There's a private place reserved for the lovers of God who sit at his feet and receive the revelation secrets. And when we do that, then something in us arises without our own strength, without us trying, but it bursts forth like that song song says, without, it's just something that, right, you know, it rises up within us without even us doing anything because of a natural consequence of just spending that time with God. So that's the challenge for you guys today daily communion and see how your life might change, will change. So I want to address a couple of groups today. Firstly, if there's anyone here or watching online who doesn't know God, who's never been into that private place with Him, who's never had that opportunity to sit with Him and receive those revelation secrets. I want to give you the opportunity today to, what we say, give your heart to God, to give your life to Him, to open up that door 
and come and sit at the banquet table with him and feast. So if there's anyone here today, just raise up your hand. Let me see. If you're online, please leave us a comment. Get in contact with the church. We want to give you some materials so we can help you on your journey with God. But is there anyone here today who wants to open up that door to him for the first time? That's all right. And secondly, I want to speak to people who are Christians, but who want to go deeper. Maybe you're struggling and feeling like you're far away. Maybe you feel like you're in the Holy of Holies, in that close place with God right now, but you know there's more. So if that's you, I want you to stand. If you want more of God, I mean, honestly, who doesn't? But that's all right. It's up to you. And you just want to say, God, I want to go further up. I want to go further in to your presence, Lord. Thank you, God, for these people, Lord. Thank you, God, that you want to come and commune with them, Lord, that you are here with them, God, right now, Father. And I pray, Lord, that you would reveal your revelation secrets to them, Lord. For anyone who's struggling to feel your presence, Lord, I break off any chains, God. I break off any lies upon their life, Lord, that say they're not good enough that say they're not worthy, that say they can't, Lord, but that you, God, have done it all. You died on that cross, Lord. It is finished. When we take communion, we declare that we are one with you, Father, that we are one with your Son. And Lord, we just thank you for your presence, Lord. We thank you that there is no end. How wide, how high, how deep is his love. We just want to rest in your love, Lord. Arise, my dearest. Hurry, my darling. Come along with me. I have come as you asked. To draw you to my heart and to lead you out. For now is the time, my beautiful one. He is calling you. And he loves you so much. So let's just now let the team lead us in worship and let our hearts, let our hearts sing to him.